0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Every Square Inch, where we take the time to engage every square inch of God's world with God's worldview. I'm your host, Robert Cunningham, and thank you for your patience as we took a few weeks off. It was a much-needed break on my end, but I'm excited to be back. I had a topic I was planning on discussing today, which I will get to, but I read something in Kentucky's news this week that I just can't resist commenting on, uh, not only because of what it means for Kentucky, but even more so as it pertains to the cultural narrative at large. Uh, this week my state Senator Alice Forge Kerr uh, filed Senate Bill 85, which is called the Ban Conversion Torture Bill. Uh, now I'm going to I'm going to both affirm and critique this legislation, but let me first say this, I'm a fan of Senator Forge Kerr, uh, not too long ago, we spoke at length on the phone regarding an issue very important to me that she and I both agree upon. Uh, we share a common faith, and I have and plan to continue to support her with my vote. So I really don't want this to be about her or even her legislation. Uh, but but because this bill was introduced by my senator and, if passed, will impact my state, I thought it's appropriate. Uh, to take the opportunity to discuss a topic that I think Christians really need to discuss and engage, uh, because it really is starting to take place all over our country. The bill is similar to legislation passed in other states. Uh, Kentucky would be the 20th state to ban conversion therapy. But what's unique about Kentucky is that we would be the first conservative state, quote-unquote conservative state, to pass the legislation. By and large, these bills have been relegated to the more progressive states, but Kentucky would break that trend and perhaps open the door for other red states to uh, take this action. In some ways, I find this encouraging because I do love the heart behind the bill, and yet when you look at the actual details of the legislation, I believe it does more harm than good. So let me explain what I mean by that. First, let me affirm the spirit of the bill. Like all the others, the bill seeks to ban what is commonly referred to as conversion therapy. For those who don't know, conversion therapy was once the evangelical response to the awakening of the LGBT movement. And it was and is a horrible practice that can only be labeled spiritually abusive. In its worst form, there were conversion therapy programs and and camps. This is what's depicted in the movie Boy Erased, which Alice Forgy Kerr referenced as an example of conversion therapy. And absolutely, that film is painful to watch and sadly pretty accurate of the conversion therapy movement. I think it actually was based on a true story. And according to this approach, people are sent away to undergo what amounts to homosexual detox. Uh, During these programs, people receive terrible therapy that treats the cause of sexual attraction as a simple formula and therefore the change or conversion of sexual attraction as likewise a simple formula. Essentially, the answer is to reactively blame your sexuality on your parents whose upbringing obviously had to make you this way and then proactively go through heterosexual boot camp essentially. Participants are forced to act like a stereotypical heterosexual. uh, The idea being that heterosexuality should be faked and forced until it yields conversion. This is terrible. This is all terrible, particularly awful when children are forced by parents to undergo it. And there is an entire generation of conversion therapy survivors who can testify to its trauma. So yes, if what we see depicted in Boy Erased is taking place in Kentucky, it should should, and must come to an end. And this is why I appreciate the heart behind the legislation. But here's the problem. Conversion therapy is largely extinct. I, I, I don't know any credible therapist who still practices these techniques. I guess my caveat to that would be that I'm sure there are fundamentalist strands of Christianity that still practice forms of conversion therapy, but nothing in any of these bills can stop that. They are the, these These folks are not professional counselors or doctors licensed by the state. They are unlicensed uh, religious counselors, so to speak, practicing their freedom of religious expression. And the bill can't touch those practices under the First Amendment. So my contention is that these bills being passed are solutions in search of a problem. Um, this is not an issue anymore in our world. The truth is Christianity in general and and Christian therapy specifically has grown in its understanding of human sexuality, just like the rest of our culture. Conversion therapy now only exists as a straw man that represents any form of therapy that even entertains the idea that sexual change is possible. In reality, human sexuality is deeply complex. The problem with conversion therapy is that it was rooted in a simplistic understanding of sexuality, uh, a simple cause behind same-sex attraction, and likewise, a simple quote-unquote cure to same-sex attraction. That's just not true, and many have been harmed by conversion therapy's simplicity. But ironically, these bills that supposedly ban conversion therapy introduce the same problem on the other end. They're too simple. They assume sexuality is simply a fixed reality you are born with and change is impossible. And that, too, is wrong. The reality is that human sexuality is a convergence of so many factors, including both nature and nurture. You're not going to find any study that pinpoints sexuality down to one specific thing, such as something inherited from a biological gay gene, Or something learned from your story, like sexual abuse or an absentee parent. Instead, it's the result of a a deeply complex convergence of many factors. And because of this, sexuality is just not as straightforward nor as concrete as our culture makes it out to be. This simple, fixed sexuality way of thinking recklessly disregards the myriad examples of sexual attraction actually changing. Now, I, I want to grant that it is, it's rare to find someone who is exclusively attracted to one sex changing to be exclusively attracted to another. Uh, but in between, there is a spectrum of fluidity to sexual attraction. What's interesting is that people seem to recognize this when it comes to heterosexual desires um, changing, evolving. It is fairly common, uh, especially in our day of ubiquitous pornography usage, For people's attraction to change quite dramatically, I have counseled people who, through pornography exploration, discovered newfound attractions, not just for the same sex, but for things everyone would agree are not healthy sexual desires, such as people being aroused by degrading sexual acts of violence and exploitation. There are are even many testimonies of pornography ending in attraction toward minors and pedophilia, I don't think anybody would argue that pornography exposure takes sexuality to places people never anticipated or wanted it to go. But this is the nature of sexuality. It is impressionable and susceptible to change, particularly in the early stages of development. But what's interesting is that though people recognize this, they deny the ability of sexuality to change the other direction. That is to say, we recognize the deformation of sexuality, but we deny any hope of reformation. But both are, in fact, true. I know people with homosexual desires, for as long as they can remember, who through therapy, uh, changed habits, healthy community, and so forth, would testify to growth in sexual attraction for the opposite sex, some living very fulfilled sexual lives in marriage. And so, yes, people living with unwanted sexual desires can change, not through conversion therapy, mind you, but with the help of a highly skilled therapist able to navigate through the complexities of sexuality. It does happen. Sexuality can change, and countless people can testify to that fact. But if this legislation passes, then therapy in Kentucky will be severely handicapped and unable to help those with unwanted sexual desires. When you look at the details of the actual bill, what you will discover is that it bans far more than the old conversion therapy model. In reality, it eliminates any form of therapy that even entertains the notion of sexual change. And that's not an overstatement. Let me read directly from Senate Bill 85. Quote, Conversion therapy means, so they define what they mean by conversion therapy. Conversion therapy means any practice or treatment that seeks to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity, including efforts to change behavior or gender expressions, or to eliminate or reduce sexual or romantic attractions or feelings toward individuals of the same gender. Now, stop right there. I'm against conversion therapy, as it is depicted in stories like Boy Erased. But that is not how the bill is defining conversion therapy. Here it is defined as any attempt to change any individual's sexual orientation, and then it defines that as any effort, not just to eliminate sexual or romantic attractions, but even to reduce them. Do you understand the implications of that? If a teenager in Kentucky has unwanted same-sex attraction and wants to explore the plausibility of change, not even elimination, even just reducing sexual attraction for the same sex and increasing sexual attraction for the opposite sex, that therapeutic process would be illegal in Kentucky. What this means is that ironically, these bills are as dogmatic as conversion therapy once was on the other end of the spectrum. And that's not an overstatement. Let me continue on as the legislation defines what a counselor is allowed to do. It says conversion therapy does not include counseling that provides assistance to a person undergoing gender transition. So you absolutely can help them change genders. Continue on, or counseling that provides acceptance, support, and understanding of a person or facilitates a person's coping, social support, and identity exploration and development. So you can't help them change desires, only affirm their desires, and help them cope both internally and socially. Continues on, including sexual orientation neutral interventions to prevent or address unlawful conduct or unsafe sexual practices as long as such counseling does not seek to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity. Did you get that? This here's what that's saying. You can work to change that which the state has deemed unlawful conduct but you can't help them change what they themselves may deem as unlawful conduct. If someone by personal conviction views his or her attraction to the same sex as unlawful, you can't help them with that because the state has said that's not unlawful and they must abide by the state's morality. So essentially what this legislation does is it singles out same-sex attraction along with gender identity as the two untouchables for a therapist. And it's the gender identity clause that I found particularly shocking. Think about how quickly the gender discussion has moved. From not too long ago, gender dysphoria as a medical condition including, included in the DSM as a sexual disorder to be treated, meaning if you are biologically male, but you perceive yourself as a female, then that's not something to be indulged. That's a condition to be treated. We've moved from that all the way to the other extreme, where it is legislatively prohibited to not indulge the perception that goes against the biology. I don't think I'm misreading the bill conversion It says conversion therapy means any practice or treatment that seeks to change an individual's gender identity. So if a child, um, an adolescent, a teenager is biologically born one way, but identifies with the opposite gender, then it would be illegal to even therapeutically entertain the thought of helping the child align their identity to their biology even it seems that that is the will of the client. It says conversion therapy does not include counseling that provides assistance to a person so long as it does not seek to change the individual's gender identity. So in other words, what that's saying is you can assist them in changing their biology, but not their identity. If I'm reading this correctly, and I'm open to correction, but as I read it, if a child perceives themselves as a gender that is contrary to their biology, but doesn't want to, and that's the key, doesn't want to, meaning they want their identity to align with their biology, not the other way around. But the therapist is not allowed to counsel that way. The therapist's job is to help them accept and embrace their transgender identity. That is chilling legislation, as chilling as conversion therapy was in its original form. And here's the tragedy of it all. What, what it creates is a large group of what I call exiles of the sexual revolution. These are the ones living with unwanted sexual desires, unwanted gender confusion with nowhere to go. Where are they to turn? Because there's no place left for them in our culture. The same culture that says you are free to be attracted to whomever you wish. You are free to express your sexuality however you want. You are free to choose your own identity That same culture has set the parameters such that if you are attracted to the same sex but don't want to be, if you are confused in your gender but don't want to be, then nobody's allowed to help you with that choice. The only help offered is talk you out of that choice and get you to accept what you do not want to accept. They are cultural exiles of the sexual revolution. But here's the thing they are exiles not only of the culture but of the church as well and this and this is where christians need to repent there is no place for them in state licensed counseling and medicine but is there a place for them in the church is the church a safe place for the sexually broken of every kind i know it's a safe place for my sexual brokenness which manifests itself in heterosexual lust and Um, lingering consequences of a very promiscuous past. We can handle that. We can handle my sexuality. We can handle the adultery. We can handle the divorce. We can handle the teens and college students um, indulging the hookup culture. But can we handle those who struggle with homosexuality? Can we handle those who struggle with gender confusion? And you know the answer. These remain deeply stigmatized within the church. And because of this, The struggling remain silent and alone in our churches. No place for them in our culture. No place for them in our churches. They are exiles of the sexual revolution. Oh, for the church to become a home for these exiles. I'm not talking about liberal churches that are safe for those who want to indulge uh, their sexual preferences and desires. There are plenty of those. I'm talking about churches that hold to a historic sexual ethic while also embracing those who likewise hold to that ethic, but struggle themselves to adhere to it. These are the exiles. There are plenty of places for LGBTQ to be embraced. There are plenty of places for cisgender heterosexuals to be embraced. Where are those living with unwanted sexual desires supposed to turn for their struggle? The answer must be the church. If passed, Senate Bill 85 would be a definitive statement that they are rejected by the Commonwealth of Kentucky. But no legislation can touch the church. It would affect, certainly affect licensed counselors with a Christian worldview, historic Christian worldview, but the First Amendment will always protect the church's right to welcome, love, and yes, help these exiles become what they long to be. And if there comes a day when the First Amendment no longer applies there, then so be it. We will love them illegally. And not just love them, but help them. The Christian worldview has the resources for this struggle. The Bible speaks of human personhood as fundamentally fallen. Um, In defiance of our Creator's design, none of us are as we ought to be. None of us are straight, to use the language of this discussion. And perhaps nowhere do we sense this more than in our sexuality. Nobody escapes the reality of sexual brokenness, and nobody is without need of sexual redemption. When it comes to our sexual desires, thoughts, secrets, and practices, every single person listening to this knows something is off, and it torments us all. The modern remedy is to deconstruct sexual ethics and replace them with a new ethic that normalizes everything and anything goes but this is failing us because deep down we know it to be untrue. Our society keeps saying there's nothing broken about our sexuality, but in our most vulnerable moments, no one believes that. We are a culture of sexually hurting people and no amount of therapeutic self-acceptance will fix that. What if contrary to the world's invitation to just accept who you are, the church opened wide her doors with an unconventional invitation that the first step towards wellness is acknowledging brokenness. Instead of trying to normalize sexual shame, regret, and guilt, why not just admit it? Why not tell the truth about your broken sexuality? To all who are willing to do so, the gospel offers hope. Not just a forgiveness for what we have done, but redemption of who we are, Yes, in some cases, that redemption is felt in this life. You can change. In some cases, that change is not as tenable. And Christian celibacy is what many choose to embrace. But in every case, redemption is your destiny. We shall be redeemed in the fullest sense. Every single person who trusts in Christ's salvation shall one day know the wholeness of Christ's redemption. And yes, that includes our sexuality. Thanks for listening. It's good to be back. Um, Fun to be back. We will reconnect next week for another episode of Every Square Inch.